you look at the system the way it is and, and you think, okay, these people have to be smart. They're running a system and you know, these are the leaders and this is what they're doing. No, no, they don't have, they're not smart. And the system they put in place isn't doing well. And what do they do when it isn't doing well? They double down. So, you know, if you want to really do follow your heart's desire and practice caring medicine, you can't be in the institutions that that exist right now. So you might you might want to if you want to do medicine or healing, you might want to look into alternative things. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor, and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? I look like I'm glowing like a pumpkin. Um, I'm in Kanab, Utah. Utah, okay. I like that area. Mm-hmm. Is it late there? Are you tired? Uh, no, it's it's only seven thirty. Um, I okay. drove down from uh, Central Utah the night before I was in Idaho, and the day before that I was in Bozeman. Um, All good places. I've been following your journey. Yeah, it's been great. I can't complain. I'm living the life people dream of. If you know, some people dream of like living in a mansion and you know having manicures and pedicures all day long but that's not me um, adventure yeah the, you're on adventure the beauty, the beauty of the western united states is beautiful i'm sure the eastern united states is pretty too but you know the western united states is just i could just tootle around till you know till there's no more tootling to be done till till the till the gas pumps are empty <laughs> <laughs> well it's good to see you you look good and i really appreciate you being willing to come chat with me where are you? Um, I am in a spare birth room at a birth center in India. India. <laughs> we have a lady. Right. Yeah, yeah. We have a lady okay. in labor right now. So, so it's tomorrow morning there. It is tomorrow morning. Yes, I am officially in tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. This is a time. It's a. It's a time warp we've got going on here because uh, seriously, it's October third for me, and it's October fourth for you. You're looking into the past. Yeah. Exactly. I'm looking, I'm looking into the future. That's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Well, let's do this. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't even know what we're going to do, but uh, I always wing it. And uh, talking to you is easy. I remember the last time we talked, it was the, I think we had whiskeys or something in the, the bar at, uh, 
at the MGM signature. I think that was last That's time I it. saw you. Yeah. Yeah. Bumped into you in Vegas of all places. Oh. Well, that was a year ago, more than a year ago. And uh, I'm, I'm well, so glad to it was, see you again. It had to be before that because it had to be almost before COVID, I think. Because what was you I think? doing? What was I doing there? I didn't go. You were last. at. You were at play, a poker, right. friend's um, retirement party, or some some friend was having a party reunion, high school reunion, college reunion, something like that. I don't know. You know, I only usually go to Vegas to play poker once a year with my friend Lex from Minneapolis, and so, um, and then for two years we didn't go. Once they closed it in the second year, last year, the year before last, it was you had to be vaccinated to play. And yeah. this year, this year I went. So this year I got to go. But so it had to be like two, three years ago that we ran into each other. Huh. I can't imagine why I would have been there any other reason. Well, I was only there last year delivering my second grandbaby. So I'm pretty sure it was last year, but it's okay. It Either way, yeah. it was some alternate universe. We saw each other. So there you go. Well, yeah, see um, what, you know, it's a, again, it's a time warp. What's one year for you is three for me. I, I'm, li I'm living. I'm living a cat life. <laughs> I love that. Okay, slow it down. Slow it down. Go slow on the highway. Well, you're living van life. I mean, RV life, or what are you calling it these days? We call it RV living. Uh, I'm living yeah. in the beast. It's the beast. It's yeah. a. It's a big square box, rectangular yeah. box. Excuse me. And yeah. uh, I'm. You know, it's my second go around. I was traveling in April and May. I went all the way out from LA to North Carolina to the Outer Banks and back. And uh, that was a bit of a disaster. I mean, I broke this and I broke that and I hit this and I hit that and I forgot about that. And uh, this time it's a whole lot different. This time I'm sort of an experienced RV traveler and yes. camp, campground setter upper and that sort of thing. So it's, it takes me only like 10 minutes to set up camp wherever I go now. So it's pretty quick. Yes. Well, um, Bliss is also living the, the, uh, the van life. I lived van life in Hawaii in 2018, 2019. I built a, a tiny home out of a shuttle bus. And so I know that life you're living, it's super fun. Um, do you feel like you're going to land anywhere? Yeah, I just bought a house here. You did? Okay. In Utah. Utah. Yeah, right. it's going to take me, a, it's going to take a while to transition. Okay. here uh everything but yeah i'm really quite honest with you i mean people always wonder when i'm going to come back and deliver babies and stuff like that again and i, I don't know that i want to be on call um all the time i mean i'm much healthier and physically fit and feeling better i mean i got orthopedic issues like everybody my age but but uh, i just feel better um not being on call i mean i was on call for 40 years hmm. and i don't know that i could go back to doing that again so it's a really it's a dilemma. I mean, I'm I'm getting a lot of accolades and a lot of satisfaction from teaching, and I would never give that up. Yeah. But the freedom that this gives me away from the tyranny of medicine, which I don't know we'll talk about today or not, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the tyranny of of the micromanagers and the regulators and stuff. Regulators just create things to regulate, and they're. And then they wonder why things are busted and then they, they um, create more regulations to fix the first regulations that they bust that busted everything. So uh, it's, it's an insane reality we're living in in many yeah, ways. So it's, it's just it's really it's really nice to be able to be sort of at a point in my career where I'm you know, I don't want to feel like I'm 
the grandfather. I think Michelle O'Donnell is still the grandfather, but yeah. you know, I'm I'm getting to a point where I have a lot of gravitas, and I and I and I like that, and I just don't. I think my time is probably better spent trying to ch change bigger things than individual birthing, and maybe I'm saying yeah. that selfishly because I just the idea of going back on call again. Uh, I think that's okay. I think yeah. you're allowed to say that. I mean, like I fully 100% support wanting to be off call for a bit. Okay, so um, my like sort of lead in, my the first question that I want to ask you is um, because you are at this point in your career where you can take stock, you can look back and you can really see what it's meant, where it's gone. You know, hindsight is such a fascinating thing. If you could talk to your younger self or say, like, pretend Nathan Riley is that younger self of you. Like, what would you say? What advice would you give? Like, how would you talk to yourself at that stage, given the, the trajectory of your career? Good question. I, I, I believe that if I talk to myself at a certain point in time before I entered medicine, I wouldn't enter medicine. Um, so that's, that's a huge statement right then and there. And the reason I say that is because you know, there are people that have a personality to be followers and there are people that have a personality to be like shepherds uh, or doers or, or uh, leaders. And, and I don't know that I'm saying that in a way that's negative or positive. I'm just saying that, that medicine right now is filled with sheep. It used to be filled with shepherds and mm -hmm. I'm a, shepherd, and I'm a shepherd type person, but you can't be a shepherd in medicine anymore because you you're just a cog in the wheel. You're just an employee. You basically have to follow the company line or the, the government line or the, or your employer's line or your insurance company's line or your malpractice carrier's line or, or your partner's line. So you can't really, it's really difficult to do that. And I, and, you know, I think that my generation, people went into medicine. One was to make money. No question about that. And that's gone because I don't think that doctors get rich anymore. And two, um, they did it so they could be captains of their own ship. You hung up your shingle, you built a practice. And then that sort of disappeared in the late 80s and early 90s here in California when managed care took over, except for the few, a few of us unicorns like me and the partners that I had at the time. But as we retire, and people maybe five, 10 years uh, less vintage than me um, stop practicing, everybody's going to generally be an employee. And that's the way it's going to work. So if I could catch before Nathan went to medical school, I would tell him not to go, all right? Um, once you get there, I would tell him to look at, I mean, you look at the system the way it is and, and you think, okay, these people have to be smart. They're running a system and you know these are the leaders and this is what they're doing. No, no, they don't have, they're not smart. And the system they put in place isn't doing well. And what do they do when it isn't doing well? They double down. So. You know, if you want to really do follow your heart's desire and practice caring medicine, you can't be in the institutions that that exist right now. So you might you might want to if you want to do medicine or healing, you might want to look into alternative things like naturopathic doctors or Ayurvedic medicine or or uh, midwifery or you know even though I mean even though they'll be sort of funneled along a path by the mainstream medical complex it's it's still you get to run your own show i mean there's no um 
you know, mo most naturopathic doctors I know have their own office. Most chiropractors I know have their own office. They, they still practice the way doctors used to practice and not anymore. So I would say, you know, do that. Or if you're going to, if you are going to follow the path of becoming, you know, going to medical school and residency and stuff like that, you got to be able to find a way to ground yourself, you know, keep your feet on the earth, um, keep your emotions in check because otherwise you'll get indoctrinated and you'll become part of the to quote a current term. You'll become part of the mass formation and you'll find yourself doing things that if you actually stop to think about it, you think that that's crazy. I would, why would I ever do something like that? And yet I'm actively supporting a system that has a 30 to 40 to 70 to 80% cesarean section rate, depending on what country you're in and thinking that that's an okay thing. So I mean, you know, it's not a very optimistic. Uh, you asked me a question. It's not an optimistic thing that I would say to somebody who's younger. Um, but the system will will implode. It will implode on itself eventually. The question is how much damage will be done before it does that, and um, how many years or decades before that happens, and how many people are caught in that, and how yeah, much does it won't, the consciousness it won't be, change? Yeah, you know? it won't be in my lifetime, but it will be. Yeah. It has to change because this system just it's isn't broken. Yeah, it's broken. Sorry. Yeah, oh. yeah it's broken. Um, well, um, so I don't know if that was the right answer. The good, no, there's no there's right no, answer, but there's no right or wrong answers. Yeah, I mean, I, because you have this vantage point, I, I kind of want to pick your brain of where you're sitting right now. Um, I mean, if so, you want to, if you want to do, if you want to do something where you're in charge of your your own life, medicine is not it anymore. Yeah. And you, you give up a lot to become a doctor. I mean, yeah. essentially, I know it's a, it's a cliche, but but I didn't have my twenties. I didn't I didn't I didn't have my twenties. From age twenty two until thirty, I was in training. So while other people were you know going to concerts and partying and actually getting married and buying houses and doing all those things, we were accumulating debt and we were working 120 hours a week and 40 hour days, if there's such a thing. And, you know, that, I mean, they've kind of changed that a little bit right now, but it's not for the better. And I don't think that, I think doctors coming out of training right now have very good academic skills, but not very good, necessarily great people skills or um, uh, great surgical skills or those sorts of things, because there just isn't enough to be training and and they, they have it hasn't moved with the times i mean where are people going to get the kind of training augustine that i got when i was a resident yeah. at cedars and spent four months at la county usc where we did everything and yeah. that's why i still do what i do is because i was lucky enough to be trained to do that yeah yeah well so i i i've been looking back over 20 years you've been looking back over 40 years and I can say a lot has changed in 20 years. A lot has changed in 40 years. Kind of, can you name some of the things that, like you said, I got to do everything. I was trained in everything. What is it? Why is it so different? What, what looks so different? Like for folks that are just coming into the scene now and don't have that perspective, what's changed? Well, you know, again, everything has to follow the money. And it used to be that hospitals made a living on private insured patients and didn't want any any uh, government insured patients, Medicaid, we call it in the United States. And um, 
And then insurance companies began to have managed care and they began to diminish and diminish and diminish the reimbursements that they gave to doctors and to nurses and to hospitals and that sort of thing. And so in order to continue to pay your overhead, which continued to go up, despite the fact that your revenue went down, you had to do more volume. And so what's changed to me is the idea that, that businessmen run medicine as a business. And you can see it reflected not only in the business part of it, but in the uh, the lack of um, caring, the lack of, you know, they're, they're very quick to come up with slogans like mother baby friendly. But the minute that that mother baby friendly would, would interfere with the revenue generation, they're going to get rid of mother baby friendly. So it, it's, it, I think that the when medicine became a business, which really I mean, it's been a business for a long time, but at least the people running the business were the people providing the service. Now, like anything else, anytime something gets bigger, you you dissociate the the you break down the the relationships between people. I mean, we used to be called, we're called doctors. Now we're called providers. That was intentional to break down the doctor patient relationship. And when people don't see the results of their work, when there's middlemen involved and regulators involved and, and uh, administrators involved and stuff like that, there's more frustration in the job. So I think there's less job satisfaction um, in medicine. And, uh, and then of course, access to certain things uh, like surgery and other things, things have changed. So there are, you know, the, which is a good thing, by the way, some, a lot of things have been treated now non-surgically. So the surgical specialties are struggling. And the average OBGYN who finishes a four-year residency isn't really competent in some of the things that maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we saw a lot of, because they just aren't, there aren't a lot of indications to do things like hysterectomies or, you know, other, other, those types of surgeries. I mean, certainly they're all competent in cesarean section, all right, but they're not competent in, in hands-on breach. And when, you know, the things that you and I talk about all the time, breach and yeah. uh, second twin breaches and extractions and forceps. You know, there's no, there's no way anyone's going to get the training for that anymore because there just isn't enough to do it. And everybody's afraid. You yeah. know, when you, again, you put risk managers and, and, and uh, administrators in charge of things and their ultimate goal and their fiduciary duty is completely different than yours or mine. One of the things I talk about when I, when I give my course is, you know, when hosp hospitals think they're being innovative by, by, by providing a doula service. So for women that don't have a doula, the hospital provides a doula. But who does the doula work for? Works for the hospital. If that doula contradicts what the nurse or doctor wants to do to that patient, that doula will not be working in the hospital's doula service for very long. Yeah. So the conflict of interest is, is when, you, when, the, when it's a business is detrimental. And I would, you know, I tell people all the time, never, never, ever let a loved one go to the hospital without a family member, just be with them 24 seven. Wow. And what we saw with COVID where, you know, people were, you know, old people were locked away to die by themselves. Couldn't, nothing could be more crueler than that. Nothing. So, well, yeah, so, and, and, um, and that's the, and that's ahead. the heart that those are the people that are running the medicine, the people that let that happen, the people that thought it was okay. Yeah. Well, so, um, midwives and birthing folks have opportunity to interface with docs, even if they're opting out of the system, because a certain percentage of people have to transfer. 
there's health issues, there's baby issues, there's timing issues, there's reasons why certain folks have to go to the hospital. So I would just sort of ask for your advice, your um, tricks or techniques. How, how can, can folks outside the system interact with the system when they have to? What's, their, what's your best advice? Well, I, I think it all, it all boils down to relationships again. I mean, it's the human condition. If you have a relationships, the personal relationships with certain people who work at the hospital, like some of the midwives in LA do and I do, there's certain doctors at certain hospitals who are either friendly toward us or we've known them for years or we've invited them to meetings or we've taken them to dinner or we've brought lunch to their office staff or whatever. You, you develop relationships with people because it is the interpersonal relationship. It's very hard to... to um, expect someone who's been indoctrinated to believe that pregnancy is an illness and home birth is horrible and midwives are, are awful and all that stuff to suddenly take a transport and suddenly be nice. They've forgotten what their calling is, which is to take care of people who in need. And they're more worried about finishing their shift and getting home before it without any major problems on their shift. Because medicine in nowadays is a shift mentality and it gets back to the whole thing about business running it. You know, um, our profession, obstetrics, or, you know, I shouldn't even call it obstetrics. Um, birth working is probably a better term. Obstetrics is the, is the medical, medicalization of it. Birth working is, a, is, a, um, is not something that does well with the shift mentality because it's, it's, it requires relationships. It's not like taking your appendix out. It's not like going right. to the ER with a broken arm, all right, and having a doctor set it and never seeing you again. My profession, one of the reasons I chose it was because it had what's called longitudinal care. And you get to know people over years and years and years and years. And your visits, your my annual gynecology visits used to be more about, you know, how's the family? What's the job doing? What, you know, what's your latest movie? We didn't really have to get acquainted again because we knew each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all over all that time. When yeah. you have a, when you have a um, HMO type practice, you may have some of that, but most of the time it's, a, it, it, people call up, if they can get in, they'll get in with the first doctor that's available. And it may be somebody you've never met before or don't know. And certainly in labor, you know, you may love your doctor, but you have a one in 11 chance of having that doctor being the one on call the night you're in labor. This is, this is, you know, this is not um, conducive to it. So it's relationships and developing them with the nursing staff, with the charge nurse in labor and delivery, with some of the OBs in the community. How do you do that? I quote you about breaking silos. And the only way to do that is to sort of have meetings where everyone's invited. And yeah. it, you know, I don't know, you know, the problem is if we sponsor it, if the home birth people sponsor it, doctors won't come. They just don't come. I mean, I teach breach yeah. and I, I'm so thrilled. Like I did a, a seminar in Kansas City last month and I had an MFM come. Cool. Yeah, it was like really cool. And she was really cool. She was really yeah. cool. I mean, obviously you have to be cool to want to come to that. Yeah. Because most people who are already out are, are not interested in learning a new skill, even if it might save a life at some point. And it would make them feel much more like an obstetrician than somebody who only can go to a scalpel when there's a problem. Hmm. But back to back to your question. I mean, how do you how do we do that in LA? Um well, I'm lucky because I worked in the hospital for 25 years. Uh, well, if you count 
connections in the hospital and the medical community. And it was easy for me. And then I helped to liaise for a lot of the midwives to get to know some of the great guys that are still doing it. But they're either getting old or they've been forced out by their partners or even forced out by the hospital. So yeah. lovely doctor in Santa Barbara who was tremendous, who everyone wanted to go to. And she ended up not getting any support from the other doctors there and had to close her practice because she was getting harassed and uh, unsupported. And you can't do that and live a life. So, Yeah, well, speaking of being forced out, um, your friend and mine, Dr. Dr. Brad got seriously forced out of his world. Yeah, and that I mean, seems to be happening more and more. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me, and I, you know, I, we don't have to go into any political aspect at all. But here's a here's a uh, a maternal fetal medicine who's a black man who's eloquently spoken. He's written a book, and he's he's former military. He's just like the dream. And they still chased him off staff because he supported midwifery and because he had he liked to do breaches yeah. and twins. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't about outcomes. People, they'll always, they'll gunny sack you. I mean, I don't know if your listeners know what gunny sacking means, but it means bringing back things, little teeny things and putting, making a big file out of them. Like, oh, he spoke harshly to this nurse or, oh, he, you know, I, I know that I got written up once for wearing Cedar sinai scrubs at a, Camarillo Pleasant Valley Hospital delivery. And so the nurse wrote me up for that. And so they they bring these things up and then they get a file that's big and it makes it look like to the layperson that all these complaints, but they're really none of them are significant. And that's what they uh, they did. And you know, Brad is a gentleman, so he's not going to speak poorly. No, of these he doesn't. People. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, because he's obviously so well-educated and, and so such a good um, clinician, such a, a, a thinker, he's, he's, he's adapted and he's in some other pathway, but it's, it's a travesty to the, to the midwifery, to the, the birthing world to have lost him at Atlanta. It's a travesty. Oh, think about, look at, I know women from Florida who used to drive up to have him care. Exactly. For so think exactly. of the women of that whole area lost somebody who was actually good you know this is it's this we see we see this all the time we see people fail upwards in academia and and medicine and even politics and stuff like that they do a crappy job and they get, they end up, get promoted um you know people leave governments and they end up on msnbc or on cnn or something <laughs> like that with a job that pays more yeah. than their government job which they were crappy at and it's the yeah. same thing here. The doctors that run these programs, I mean, some of them, I mean, they're, they're not bad people, but they're, they're stuck in a system that they're so used to that it makes it so uncomfortable when somebody like Brad comes along and does something different or somebody like me came along or David Hayes or, yeah. and, and, you know, Anne-Marie Adams or some other bunch yeah. of other people come along and we make them uncomfortable and their cognitive dissonance solves that problem by belittling us or ignoring us or getting rid of us. That's just how people well, and the in, a, system in, a, in a system rewards, like the system rewards conformity. So, you know, it, it disincentivizes anyone from sticking their neck out. But those of you that do, like you suffer personally, all of you have, every name that you named has suffered in some way personally. 
but then the whole profession suffers when we lose those greats. And I would say a similar thing is happening in midwifery. Two large birth centers closed in Washington state this year. Um, New York state has lost uh, uh, a major birth center. Um, we're losing senior midwives left and right because the whole system um, you know, is, is it disincentivizes any kind of innovation, any kind of individual care. Um, what are we going to do? What are we going to do as a nation? How are we going to reclaim well, I, that? I think you're seeing the beginnings of it. That's why I said it's going to take a long time. But you're seeing the beginning of an alternative economy and an alternative uh, way of doing things. And there will be people that will stick to that and they'll stick, they'll hold on to that till the last brick falls because their system is okay. I mean, one of the other analogies that I use, Augustine, when I talk in my, in my course, I talk about the, you know, the World Health Organization, which is not an organization I'm very fond of, okay? Um, they say the C-section rate should be 10 to 15%. All right, let's just say 15%, and that's giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I know in the midwifery world, if you look at the, you know, the midwif midwives have lower risk clients, but the C-section rate in their clientele is anywhere from two to 7%. In right. the, that same low risk cohort in the hospital is going to have a C-section rate of over 20%. So right. it's three times higher or more simply because of the model by which they're being cared for. But if the World Health Organization says that 15% of women should have C-sections and say the United States, it's 30. Uh, we could talk about other countries where it's a lot higher, but let's just say 30 because it's an even number and it makes math easy, okay? <laughs> so that means half of all the C-sections being done in the United States are unnecessary. Well, there's about 4 million babies being born every year in the United States. So that means there's about 1.4 million cesarean sections at a 30 plus percent rate. So that means there's 700,000 unnecessary surgeries being done every year on American women. And not only are, you know, if there were 700,000 unnecessary knee surgeries or mastectomies or anything else being done, not only would the people be, out, uh, be an outcry about it, but the insurance companies would be an outcry about it because they're paying for this sort of stuff. But there's not a peep about this, but here's the real kicker. If half of all the C-sections being done are unnecessary in the United States, who's doing them? Who's doing the unnecessary C-sections? Because no doctor goes home at night and says, hey, honey, guess what? I did two unnecessary C-sections today. Every C-section a doctor does, he thinks is necessary, yet half are unnecessary. So who's doing them? Oh, the other guy's doing them. But the other guy's saying that you're doing them. So that's classic cognitive dissonance. You, you can't, if you actually take a step back and look at that, you, it, it cannot stand. And yet it's, yeah. and yet it's the norm and it's what they're fighting to keep a system yeah. like that. And they're, de and they're demolishing anybody who challenges it, which is exactly yeah. what people do in a mass formation and mass hmm. formation has become, I don't know if you've heard the term. Yeah. I'm yeah. I know book. the term. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm yeah, reading yeah. A, a book by Matthias Desmet. He's the guy that came out with this yes. whole thing about, Brilliant. about um, the COVID thing and how people were, were snitching on other people and how family members turned on family members and how it was the unvaccinated were villain, vilified and all that stuff. And how do you do that? Because you're turning on your loved ones who just made a decision with you, but their decision makes you so uncomfortable that you're willing to sacrifice your own values for the collective. And that wow. seems to be what's going on in, in medicine now because the outcomes we have in this country suck. They suck. Yeah. If, if you know what, if the medical model was actually having good outcomes, okay, so they're treating women badly and the C-section rates, but with all that be, be say, being said, the outcomes still suck. 
I know that's a blunt so, word, but you know, I could say no, it it's, it's a great word. It's a yeah, we can use terrible. any number of swear words, you know, it's fantastic. Well, suck so, is not so, a swear word. Well, okay, sorry. I in in uh eight-year-old vernacular it is, so I, I, I like it. I still like calling it a swear word. Well, well it's not um, it's not one of the words that the FCC would ban you from uh, on public airwaves. Okay. Okay. Well, we're not public here. We can do whatever. I know we could we, we could use a lot of other four-letter words and be fine. I know. Well, so what are we gonna do, Stu? What are we gonna do? How what is next? Do we just wait for the whole thing to crumble? No. No, we're doing, do. we're doing what we can do. Ideally, what we need, what we really need are, there's enough good people out there who want to start an alternative type thing for birth. You know, yeah. I mean, the bigger whole medical, medical thing has got, that's, you know, the idea that we treat everything with a prescription and that we don't treat any people with, you know, healthy living and healthy diet and healthy exercise and getting outside and keeping you know getting your feet dirty and getting your hands dirty and we purell everything and we bubble wrap everybody and this, you know that that's another story but for birthing um what we need people we need people to um we need rich people <laughs> because you know if bill gates or george soros or any of these multi-billionaire people even even elon musk wanted to really do something good for the world it would be to change the way we give birth and they could, you know, not all this monkey business with GMOs and viral manipulation or banking manipulation or monetary manipulation or whatever they're doing for the megalomaniac uh, itching that they have going on um, would be to help support an alternative system that develops where we start with, you know, a, a, you know, a small thing like a retreat center, like Marin Green from Indie Birth. And Nathan and you, you, you're on that thing. I don't know if you were at the meeting yeah, recently. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was yeah, on the road. Yeah. I was on the road. I couldn't, I couldn't get Wi-Fi in in Idaho. Um, but that's the kind of thing that needs to be. What if for people that are listening, what we want to do is we want to open up a retreat center, a sanctuary type place where people can come and stay if they have to come for two or three weeks or four weeks and stay from other places where they don't have choices. And be taken care of by traditional midwifery school uh, midwives who are teaching, passing on that those traits and and that knowledge, and also having you know place where maybe we could do breaches and twins in a setting with a collaborative relationship with a local hospital or something, but actually doing these things outside of the hospital so women can birth as nature intended and as how every other mammal does it, which is you know safe, quiet, and unobserved where they're free to move about, they're free to eat, they're free to drink, they're free to have people in the room that they want and not be interrupted when they don't want to be. And, you know, babies come out and, you know, if, if you leave birth alone, people always ask the question and you've asked it of you too, is what if this happens or what if that happens at a home birth? And it's like, well, that's because you're describing what happens so often in the hospital yeah, because of the meddling that goes on in the hospital. Yeah. You know, if you don't starve a person, if you don't immobilize a person, if you don't number with an epidural, if you don't hyperstimulate your uterus with with oxytocin or cytotec, if you just leave, you know, if you leave them to, to nature's way, you don't see that sudden rapid deterioration of the fetal status. Yeah. You know, um, there was a, I, we did a, Bliss and I just reviewed a uh, 2019 um, YouTube video by a guy named Z Dog MD. I, I don't really know who he is, but but apparently he's fairly popular. He's got a lot of followers on Instagram. And 
and it was a thing they did on home birth and i looked at it and and it's inc it was it was incredible how backwards these two guys and how scared they yeah. were they, they are about about birthing and how differently they see it yeah and how little and how little they really know and yet they're they're because they have mds behind their name they're considered experts yeah, yeah um, i've seen that <clears throat> i know it's 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 amazing how ignorance kind of has owned the airways you know in so many different areas education food you know secured all these things but in the, in the birthing world it's like the the loudest voices have the least accurate information yep yep and, and then so they and then they and then they call you they, they basically call you as a giver of misinformation i mean look at california just passed a law the governor signed it yesterday um which makes saying something like hydroxychloroquine might be good for covid or the vaccine is you know is for especially for certain age groups is probably far worse than the disease um for that i can lose my license in california now i know uh, i know that. i read that but yeah i'm yeah. fortunate though because i'm at a point in my career where the only thing that would happen is if california took away my license is it would would stop me from actually doing deliveries which i may voluntarily anyway but it would free me to be as loud as and, and boisterous as I would like to be because I, I have no masters. It's one of the reasons I can talk like yeah. I do now because I, I yeah. don't have an employer and I don't take insurance yeah. and I don't, you know, all I don't have those things that, that limit people. You know, why did so many of my colleagues in order to keep their job, go get vaccinated? And why did ACOG and so many of my colleagues say that the vaccine is safe and effective? For women, for pregnant women, they wouldn't. They they would tell pregnant women to stay away from secondhand smoke, but they'll tell them to inject something in their body. And not even talking about the flu or the Tdap vaccine. It's bad enough. But they're telling them that this COVID vaccine is safe. It was never tested. It was known back then. They can't. They can't say that. Well, we were told by Pfizer it was tested. No, no, no. You were never told that. And the data is clear now that. And they're still promoting it. They're still promoting it. UCLA still sends out a weekly a weekly uh, announcements on Wednesday and they're promoting and now they're going off onto monkeypox. So you got to get your monkeypox vaccine. Why do they do that? You know, it feels like we're in a conspiracy theory, like for real, like it's very easy to see why people go off the deep end, believing that like there's some nefarious plot happening because like, it feels crazy. Don't, don't you feel like it's a little crazy? Like th um, this, no, the I, speed I, with which things are changing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I got ghosted by some midwives in England because I had the audacity. And again, I was probably, an, I, I shouldn't have gone there, but they asked me a question that led me there. And I had the audacity to say that women give birth. Okay. And I got ghosted. All right. Because, uh, you know, I, you know, people with the capacity to get pregnant, according to the Harvard lawyer speaking to Congress, is a way to describe and so josh holly says you mean women and she goes that's violence you just you just uh, executed violence against me by saying that and so i would ask the harvard lawyer who said it's the it's a person with the capacity to give birth or to get pregnant does that mean menopausal women are no longer women does that mean a woman who's had a tubal ligation is not a woman did she even think it out do they even do they think 
what's beyond stage one thinking? Do they ever do stage two thinking? No, they don't. Um, because they do what we're feels good really, sounds good. We're in a really interesting place globally, it's, even. It's going to collapse, though. People who are listening, don't worry. They'll soon start to, they're already doing it, but they're going to eat their own. And eventually uh, they, they will all collapse. And we'll yeah, just look back. Cancel culture will eventually cancel itself. It's already, it's already on the, it's already yeah. on the downside. I know big tech is big in censorship and stuff like that. That's going to collapse too. There's going to be an alternative economy that comes out. There'll be, there'll be other platforms, rumble, other platforms that are going to come out then. And those ones will collapse and people who want to believe in that stuff will just go to them just kind of like now people watch yeah. Fox news or they watch MSNBC and nobody watches both. So yeah. it will, it well, will, I like it to will watch both. And we'll get better. <laughs> I like to, I like to see both sides, but, but you said something interesting. I want to go back you're, to you. You're a sick, you're a sick puppy, right? <laughs> <You're sick. laughs> I like balanced opinion. Come on now. Well, I like to make my own, my own mind up. Well, here's what I, you said something really interesting that I want to go back to it. And that is like, um, I have no masters. And that's a particularly interesting phrase, given that we're kind of in this neo-feudalistic society now, like we're, we're, we're no longer um, you know, a, dem a democracy. Uh, we're not even an oligarchy anymore. Um, it, it's kind of like this neo-feudalism where we have lords and there are these tech giants and all of that. And so um, I, I wonder, I, well, first of all, I love the phrase and I wonder if that's how a lot of midwives feel as well. Like that's why they're, they are running their own businesses and they're, they're sort of outside. They don't have anyone saying you can or can't do this, but the states well, they keep do. trying to pass yeah. more laws that regulate what we do, what we don't do. And the, and the one that I think you and I really laugh about a lot is like this idea of outlying breach, like as if the baby were going to read the law book, you know, like you cannot outlaw breach, especially since 34% of them aren't even diagnosed until labor. So like, Tell me yeah. what your opinions on this. Well, you know, midwives, <laughs> unfortunately, do have a master and the master is causing midwives to do things that's outside their comfort zone because they would never do things like start sweeping membranes and talking castor oil at 42 weeks or 41 weeks and five days and that sort of thing. And when we say governments are doing something, we're actually giving a pass to the people that are really doing it. Because people that run, people that are elected to government office, and this is not meant to, it's going to come out funny, but it's not, I mean, they don't know anything. They don't know anything yeah. about medicine. So who do they go to? Yeah. They go to the chairman of the department at Stanford or the chairman of the yeah. department at Cedars or, or whatever else. And they, yeah. whatever that, whatever that expert says, whatever that, that Dr. Fauci says, that's what they do. Yeah. So we can all Subject use matter experts. these people. These mm -hmm. people are basically Dr. Fauci's. They yeah. give their opinion and they expect their opinion to then be become, um, you know, a, a, uh, yeah. Yeah, a policy. That's right. They expect their opinion to become policy. You should never put experts in charge of anything. The problem is, <laughs> oh, they, you, That's a they great be, quote. That's a great quote. Should never put experts in charge of anything. No, Love experts it. are because experts are very, very narrow. They can't look at the bigger picture. Look at, let's lock down the world. Oh, that was a good call. <laughs> All right. What about the economy? What about depression? What about grandma dying by herself? What about, you know, I mean, 
the yeah I, i'm gonna go off on a tangent. i don't want to go off on that tangent the 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 power behind the laws that restrict what midwives do and give them their master i mean that's their master is, is coming from organized medicine yeah it's coming from the american medical association it's coming from acog yeah. um, these guys and these guys are not an academic um, um, beneficent organization. These guys are an industrial lobby. Yeah, they're an industrial lobby. They're no different than big pharma. They're just smaller than big pharma, but they're no different than big pharma. They're lobbying for the for more control, power, and money of their own profession, and they consider midwifery to be a subset of their profession, a lesser subset or competition. Yeah. Yeah. They're or stamping out their competition. Yeah. Uh, in some states, they're stamping out their competition. In some states, they're saying, how dare you? You work either for way, me. It's, either way, yeah. they rationalize why they should be the ones in, in charge, even though they don't look at their own house and discover that their their house is, is, is not in order. I mean, this guy on this Z-Dog interview, he said the number one cause of death in, in, in children is perinatal mortality. And he says, that's obviously home birth. That's what, what he said. Okay. What? Now, home birth is a what? One and a half percent of the births in the country. Okay. The crappy statistics we have in the United States and the uh, NICUs that are filled with babies that weighed eight pounds that came in, in the hospital inside their mothers in perfect health and ended up in the NICU are not because one and a half percent of women are having their babies at home. And yet it's a perfect foil for them to just use to deflect the tension away from how crappy there is. It's sort of that pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I am the yeah, smoke and mirrors. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there is this sort of cultural gaslighting happening. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Dr. Amy, who was yeah, vehemently. Yeah, I know. I always wondered too, but she was certainly uh, the the taste du jour for a while there. Um, vilifying midwives. There was a, when I lived and practiced in Oregon, there was a, a site that was developed to track and publicize all of the investigations for all of the midwives in Oregon. Did you ever see this? No. So it had every state licensed midwife and people that randomly they decided were also midwives. I don't know, unassisted birthers or doulas or people that, that came onto their radar. And then they would put like a, a red dot next to their name for how many investigations they were. And you could, you could click on it and go read the state files or the, the, the news article, or like they did this extensive research to try to vilify home birth midwives. Um, and she was also a part of that, like incredible, like vehement, angry <laughs> mob against home birth. What, well, and, like, yeah, not only that, but her, but her, her points were, were misguided. I'll use that term. They're, they were, they were misguided. Being PC. What? what? You're being PC. You're trying am, to be politically correct. I, rare, I rarely am PC. I mean, you know, she was wrong on just about everything she did, but, she, and she did it in such a, a malicious way and a, an authoritarian way. Like I am a doctor. You know, but if you look into her history, which we don't have to spend any time talking about her, I don't, she's, she's irrelevant. Yeah, so, totally irrelevant. Yeah, but irrelevant. discredited all the way around. But again, that very loud mouthpiece, right, could capture lots of attention and create all this ruckus. Um, and so I've been saying for a long time now, like, 
where are our disruptors? Like, I want to see our loud mouth spoken people. You're one of them. You're out there disrupting some of the system. You think so? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I think everyone knows Dr. Stu and everyone has, um, knows that you're kind of pushing back against some of the systemic injustices and some of the systemic rhetoric. That's not really true. Like you don't have to be on your back. You don't have to have a yeah, I mean, I reach feel, and all if, this. If anything, I feel like I'm a, I'm a flea on a dog's back, but, but you know what? It's, it, it's, it's a big it, system. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I do, I do what I think is honest and truthful and you know what? I would never be afraid to sit on a stage with she who shall not be named or you know the two guys from that used to be from cornell chervenak and grunbaum or any of these guys they will never they will never sit on a stage with me and they'll and they'll say well we wouldn't you know he's just a, he's irrelevant you know he got right. kicked off this and he did that and blah 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 right and so right. they, they won't they'll culture. always yeah. yeah that's classic cognitive dissonance is to belittle the the uh, the uh side that you that you don't agree with so yeah they'll always come up with that and so they they'll never debate you they'll never sit down yeah. and have a discussion wouldn't it be nice what by the way whether you're a trump fan or a biden fan it doesn't matter wouldn't it have been nice for the president of the united states whoever he was to get deborah burks and tony fauci and robert malone and peter mccullough and jay Bhattacharya okay yes. on a stage for yes. a two-hour q a on primetime television yes why didn't we see that because, because they knew that they couldn't it would destroy the their narrative. position yes yeah right. yeah absolutely right. yeah and that's the same thing that's happening in medicine right like that's the same reason why the researchers of the arrive study would never sit and talk with you because it would it would destroy their bottom line, right? It would destroy yeah. their yeah. And, and and you know what? It's the, the interesting thing is like the Robert Malones and Peter McCullough, they'd be happy to get on stage with these guys. I know it's the guys that are it's the guys that are making the policy because they've been designated experts. And remember what I said, you know, you should never let an expert uh, run anything. Um, they're 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 there for their expert advice. But why is their expertise any better than anybody else's expertise who happens to have the same or better? I mean, Fauci's not a virologist. Fauci's a bureaucrat. Right. He's been a, I know. yeah, he's not I even know. a doctor. When was the last time Tony Fauci actually sat across the the room from a, from a, a sick person, you know, yeah. as a patient? No, no, they no. don't. Yeah. So yeah. everything about the system is wrong and upset and, and, and broken. That's why when you get back to the question about what... Uh, Marin and uh, Nathan and stuff, and you and and Bliss and and even me <laughs> want to do is we want to do something outside the system, and we're going to have yeah. to find a way to do it outside the legal system and outside the government system because the government will come and try to quash you and squash I you. I know. Smush you. I know. I know. It's crazy, and it's part of the reason why I don't live or practice in the U.S. anymore is because I was squished. I was one of those squished bugs. I'm officially the most investigated midwife in all of Oregon. <laughs> you had more red dots than anybody else? Yes. Can you believe it? Oh, wow. That's a, it's a badge of honor. By the way, they would never do the same thing for physicians. No, never. No. Right. Protect your own. Protect your uh, own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. If you, you know, ever I... studied like narcissistic abuse, 
the entire medical industrial complex is a narcissist and it uses all of the same tools as narcissism, like gaslighting, like word salad, like changing the narrative. Um, all of these things are happening on a global public, you know, scale. Every, like, I mean, the number of people that are gaslit in their birth experience, I mean, that to me is the foundation of obstetric violence is being told things that just really we all know are not true. Yeah, here's a, here's, a, here's a way for your listeners to figure out how something's not true. First of all, if the government sponsors something and it has a really nice name, then it's completely false. Like the Affordable <laughs> Care Act, you know, or the, or the Inflation Reduction, the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever. And then secondly, if, if one of the rules I talk about is if something ends in an even number, like a perfectly perfect number, that's bullshit too. That's completely false. Yeah. Like 24 hours, ruptured, 24 hours of yeah. ruptured membranes, age 35, six feet apart. Um, <laughs> anytime they come up with something that has a, like a number like that, you know, they made it up because nature doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. Bacteria, bacteria and viruses don't know six feet. All right. No. They know the Fibonacci sequence, actually. If we could start talking about that, then we can maybe get somewhere. Well, um, I... I really love Fibonacci sequence. That's something off of the um, the uh, uh, Da Vinci yeah, we'll, Code or something like that. Yeah, we'll go into quantum mechanics next. Well, okay. I I really appreciate talking with you so much. And as we wrap up, I have a couple of last questions. My my first question for you is, um, looking back, would you do anything differently? Would you change the trajectory? <laughs> yeah. Well, I told you I would probably be a forest ranger. Is probably what I would have done. <laughs> Okay, let's but, say you're already in medicine. What would no, you do? No, well, I, another 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 stewism that I like to tell people that my kids don't listen to me very much, but and they didn't do this on purpose. But I always told my kids, obviously, what every parent tells their kids: please find a job that you really love doing. But secondly, make sure you're not licensed by the state to do it. Huh. And Ooh, well, look, mic drop. That's powerful. Okay. No, going. because because <laughs> because if if say. I went with my daughter. Well, doesn't um, just say I went someplace and had a couple glasses of wine and got pulled over on the way home, and was zero point zero eight or whatever it was. So I was over. I was at the legal over the legal limit. Um, I I could lose my ability to make a living. I'd take my license away. But if you work for Nordstroms, if you work in the entertainment industry, if you work at a restaurant, you know. You get a DUI, but you go back to work the next day. You, your life goes on because the government doesn't have any control over you. And when you're licensed, mm -hmm. the government can decide whether or not you have the ability to continue to do your thing. And like like they said, if you don't get vaccinated, you lose your job. If you right. um, don't do this, we're going to raise your, we'll, we'll raise, we, we can raise your, you know, I pay 800 and some dollars every year for my California license every year, every other year. I don't remember if they charge $8,000, I'd have to pay it. Yeah. And they did. Because in, the, in, in Oregon, the, the, the recertification the re fee was $2,000 when I was for midwives. Yeah. Who make yeah. nothing. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I know. And they told us the reason why the price was so high is because we had to pay for our own investigative process. Oh, yeah. Oh, we do too. So the doctors rose up, you know, came together. There was this incredible meeting in Sun River, Oregon in 20, uh, 2004, five, six, some, 2006. And um, the, the then president of ACOG in Oregon uh, was Dr. Peter Palacio, I think. And he, um, he passed out at the ACOG meeting in Sun River 
the, the, uh, the, the form for how to complain against home birth midwives. And after that, our investigations went like tripled in one year. Yeah. 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 California. And, and, that, California. and then our price went up. Our well, price for licensure went up. Think about this. The California Medical Board is, Department of, is in the Department of Consumer Affairs. So in other really? words, it's supposed to be a watchdog to protect consumers from doctors. But who pays for investigations of doctors? Yeah. Shouldn't, it be, shouldn't it be the consumers who are uh, the taxpayer? No, that's what the, your licensing fees for. And when you're accused of something by the medical board, a lot of times you'll end up settling for something like a letter of reprimand or something like that. And if you settle for anything, then they send you a bill for the, for the cost of their legal stuff. Oh my so, God. yeah, so you know, talk about, you know, one of the things in one of the basic tenets of medical ethics is that coercion is never acceptable. And yet coercion is their number one tool. It's the number one tool. Again, it's a violation of every, right? This is exactly what I'm talking about. They say one thing and they do the exact opposite. You know, yeah. it's like, it's crazy. Well, so would you do anything different if you oh, were, you know, if sorry, you were I got off track. <laughs> um, you mean where in my career would I, would I have chosen obstetrics? Probably not. Hmm. I would have chosen something that had like a better lifestyle, like like radiology or dermatology or I was going to say dermatology derm yeah, no, I, 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 I would have because but you when you're when you're young and energetic and naive you 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 look at that and you think god oh, this is the greatest thing catching babies and, and 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 helping young healthy people uh change their lives and stuff like that. that that was a great reason why i went into it but you don't think about hours and liability and reimbursement and and that sort of thing you, when you're young. And it's probably a good thing or no one would do certain jobs. I mean, nobody, I mean, obviously nobody, nobody when they're five years old and hey, hey Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a hospital administrator. <laughs> okay, nobody says that. So how do they end up doing hospital administration? I mean, maybe somebody uh... says that, but I would tell you that it's very rare to say it, but you know, they want to be an astronaut. I want to be a cowboy. I want to be blah, blah, blah you know, ballerina, but, but nobody says, I want to be a DMV supervisor. All right. <laughs> so um, I would probably have picked a different specialty if I was going to go into medicine. Yeah. And, um, and then I wouldn't be me. Yeah. So yeah. Every, everything, back, that, really. everything yeah. that's happened to me to this point has got me to this interview with you right now. Yeah. And, you know, you look back on some of them things and you say, God, I wish I would have done that different. Or I wish I would, you know, you look back at your relationships, your marriage and other things, and you think I could have done things differently, but you, you, you have to judge people in the time in which they live. This is the big mistake we make about tearing down statues and other things about people because they lived in a different era than ours, you know, and I, and I, I jokingly say, you know, they tore, they want to tear down Thomas Jefferson statues because he owned slaves. And I would say a hundred years from now, they'll tear down Barack Obama statues because he smoked cigarettes. All right. right. Or because right. or because gotta... he ate because he ate meat. The, 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 that's what's if you don't, you know, so you have to judge yourself and this be kind to yourself and judge yourself in the time that you live and what you knew then you can't what you know now you couldn't possibly have known then because that's how age goes and yeah. and getting wiser. And hopefully some people get wiser. Some people don't. They yeah. they don't evolve. They stay the same all the way through. And it's true. Uh, it works. It works for them because they're in cognitive dissonance. They're in their mass formation, but that's what I don't, I don't, you know, I guess I, I wouldn't have gone into OB and if I had already chosen to go to medical school, um, 
I, I think I would have picked something easier, but I would, then I still would have been a cog in the wheel. I would have ended up by this point in my career, probably selling my practice to an HM. You know, I have a, it's really interesting. This is a sort of a cynical thing that I mentioned Lex earlier. He's the guy that I used to go play poker with, or I still go play poker with. Um, he sold his practice to a big company at HMO maybe 20 years ago. And at the time he got a nice windfall. So it was a good deal for him. But then, uh, you know, I would talk to him every, every year and he would tell me that, you know, it's getting, it's getting like drudgery. I, I, you know, I have to be told how to do things by the people that you and I used to tutor in math. So, you know, because the people that were the business majors, when I went to college were the people that couldn't get into medical school or law school or dental school or whatever. And they, they went into business school. Now the business school people are running the world and they're right. telling my friend Lex how to run his practice. Right. Uh, and that was a really annoying to him. So even if I would have gone into dermatology or radiology, I would have ended up working for some big company. I would have sold out and then I would have yeah. been grumpy and I would have, I probably would have retired by now. People yeah. think that I'm retired because I'm on sabbatical and I may retire from birthing. I don't know, but uh, I'm not retiring ever uh, yeah. until I can't speak anymore or can't get around or I'm drooling. You had too much to offer. <laughs> well, so speaking of which, tell us what you're doing right now. Reteach the Breach is on tour, right? You're going from city to city. What's your next yeah. few spots? Well, that's part of what I'm doing. Uh, well, I'm headed, I'm headed from... Uh, I came down to Utah because I'm buying a house here and I'm going to sign papers tomorrow, excitingly. And then Congrats. I'm going to go to Fort Collins, Colorado to teach, then off to Austin and then Dallas. And that'll be the end of, uh, it'll be the end of 12 um, reteach breach seminars I did in 2022, which made up for the fact that I did zero in 2021 because nothing was open <laughs> and you couldn't, and you couldn't have, you couldn't hold those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. And in 2020 as well. And I'm going to continue to do those. I also have like a consultation service where uh, people can, you know, who want, first of all, midwives can use it to, they can sign up for a certain fee. And then I'm at their back and call 24 seven for a year at a time to okay. either answer questions or call in prescriptions or, or that sort of thing. So, okay. you know, it's nice to have, a, you know, people who can't get a doctor. I'm not saying that this is not a supervisory role for people out of state, but it is a something where they can call a doctor and ask a question about something that they're concerned about. So I have that service. And then I have a consultation service where people for a certain fee can sign up and I give them an hour uh, on zoom. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I have a, like a, a, a like a one question thing, which is by email, uh, that sort of thing. So I, so that's how I'm, I'm sort of generating and I'm writing, I'm working with Rixa, uh, cool. the, the founder of breach without borders. And we're working on a twin. We wrote a, breach paper in 2018 now we're working on a twin paper uh home twin birth i have 100 sets of twins and we're going to analyze that because there aren't any papers in the world yep. on home breach or home twin by a single practitioner with with certain protocols and that sort of thing so you can actually see because all the papers on this stuff are either retrospective reviews of birth certificate records or mishmashes of people reporting or not reporting and you don't even know whether they're you know, whether there's a home breach birth, was it planned or unplanned? What was the level of skill of the practitioner? You know, what was the position yep. of the baby? You don't know any of that yep. stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, we're trying to get some data out there in the world. And then Bliss, and Bliss wants to write a book. And of course, I'm still podcasting every yep. week. Bliss wants to write yep. a book on this topic, sort of how, what's the, what's the next iteration of birthing to get back to where we have really understand that birthing isn't about 
always about, as my students will say, a live baby in the bassinet. It's about, you know, the, the journey does matter. And, the, and what we do to these women, how many women are scarred? How many women have bad memories of their birth? They love their children, but the memory of their birth will haunt them their entire life because they were mistreated or because they were misdiagnosed or they were uh, they had too many interventions for no reason. Um, and uh, so we want to, we want to, Bliss wants to, she'll get me to do it. She's, she motivates me. <laughs> So, yes, she's very, uh, very persuasive in that way. Well, I love that you're doing all these things. Uh, we certainly want to have you at next year's uh, Midwifery Wisdom Experience. Hope we can steal you away for that. I'll talk to you about that off record. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here and for chatting and talking up a storm. I appreciate you so much. And I send you so much love on your travels, safe travels. And I hope to see you soon. Bye, friend. Bye.